Father, we, as we open up your word now, uh, surrender our thoughts and our distractions uh, to, to the message that you have for us. And so that is our prayer, Lord. Bless our time now in your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Can we thank them, by the way? Praise the Lord. So our, our, our theme today is doubt. You can make kind of a frowny face. I can't see it anyway. Just do this. Doubt, really, is that that topic of all the topics we could talk about. You know, it's August. It's summer. Not the middle of summer. End of summer. Sorry. Anyway, that's negative, too. Anyway, yeah. So the topic of doubt. <laughs> Great start, Nick. Um, yeah, doubt. It's, it's an interesting thing. What causes us to doubt? Have you ever heard of the show Brain Games? Brain Games? Just raise your hand if you will admit that you watch this show. I'm not promoting the show. Anyway, Brain Games. On, on one of the episodes, if I'm remembering it right, they did this experiment. So they do these like public experiments, like psychological, sociological experiments, and, and, and they do things like out in public, and they kind of test people, and so there's this experiment that they did in the middle of a mall, and uh, what they did was they took a big bucket, big clear bucket, um, and, and they placed it right in the middle of a mall, and it was filled with cash, filled with money, and then they put a sign on it that said, free money, and then they did a couple of different experiments. I'm not going to get into you know, all of the, the details of it, but one of them was that they had someone stand next to the sign that said free money. And, and what do you imagine people did, especially when someone was standing there? Uh, they would, for the most part, look at the sign, kind of look around like maybe something was wrong or something was out of place or, or you know, almost out of fear. And, and most of the people that walked by, especially when the person was standing in front of it, would just keep going, right? It's kind of like that, that phrase I think many of us use quite often. Too good to be what? True. That, that doubt in your mind that says, no, 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 this, this couldn't be. This, this something is not right here. What was really peculiar about it was even when someone wasn't standing there and no one was around and the sign says free money and people would walk up to it, they always had this look on their face like, I'm doing something wrong. And, and, and you see it on the video, they'd walk up and look inside and, and, and then just kind of like, Back away like something was actually wrong. Too good to be what? True. Where does that seed of doubt, or in this case even fear, come from? I wonder, and Brain Games didn't give me any more insight on that in particular, but I tell you what, the scriptures do give us some insight on this thing. And where does doubt come from? What is behind a seed of doubt? I want to talk about that today. Uh, as we get into uh, chapter 20 of John, John chapter 20, we're actually going to focus on verses 24 through 28. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open there. Uh, that's where we'll be. But let me give you a little bit of introduction to what's in uh, the greatest chapter in the Bible in that this is, this is the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? 
So right before this story of Jesus and Thomas, uh, we have Mary coming to the tomb. And, and going there to prepare the body in burial with anoint, ointment. To anoint the body of Jesus. And, and of course, she's coming to find a dead body. That being Jesus. Because he had just been crucified on the cross. And we talked about that last week. But when she gets to the tomb, to her disbelief, right? The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And, and she can only imagine because of, I guess we could say, doubt in her life. She can only imagine that what? Actually, the text tells us that she believed that the body was stolen. Right? Even though Jesus told his disciples, I will rise again. And then we have this account of her going back to the disciples, the disciples running to the tomb, and them also finding it the way it is. And them returning to the upper room where they're locked and, and, and they're, they're living in fear for what could happen to them if Jesus has been crucified. What if they, get, what if, what if they also get put on trial? And, and you can see what's going on in their life as they're, dealing with, as they're dealing with this disbelief of what's going on. And all that had shaken their lives up until this point. Walking with Jesus, things going well seeing powers and wonders and signs throughout his ministry, and then, bam, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes on trial. Just as he told them, he gets arrested, he gets sentenced to death, he is crucified, and now the body is missing, and they're standing in disbelief. And it tells us in the text that Jesus appears to the disciples. And we have this awesome picture of Jesus saying, look, it's, it's really me. See, see, the, see my hands and, and, and see the, my pierced side. See, it's, it's really me, Jesus appearing to them. And then we have this interesting story about Jesus and Thomas. What do we know Thomas for? Doubting. Doubting. Yeah, he kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't he? And yet he's so much like each one of us, isn't he? Look what it says in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. In other words, Jesus had appeared to them in the upper room. Thomas wasn't there. So he got to hear secondhand what was going on. Who can blame him, right? So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, that's why he's called Doubting Thomas, unless I see his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never, what does it say? Believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put your hand and place it into my side. Rather vivid, isn't it? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
I want us to focus on really that, that response of Jesus. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know, the story gives us a picture of how doubt begins to take root in one's mind. Kind of where that seed of doubt comes from, so to speak. Look at Thomas's life. Uh, consider what he has just gone through here. You know, we all have a point of view, right? Raise your hand if you have a point of view. Yeah. You're not listening, some of you. <laughs> yeah, just calling you out here. We all have a point of view and things that shape that point of view. That's stating the obvious. And, and then along in life comes something that shakes it up. A, a new season, a new opportunity, a crisis, a, a new set of independence, uh, success or failure, right? Something comes along and shakes it up or changes, right? And then all of a sudden, we see things a little bit differently. For Thomas, we see it begin to take shape when he was with Jesus before his death. He didn't understand, we can read this in John 14, why Jesus was going back to the Father. Remember, Jesus warned them of what was to come. And he didn't understand why. He didn't understand why Jesus would have to die, why he should go back to the Father. Thomas wanted Jesus to restore the kingdom and restore Israel. Now we, we see this in chapter 13. But then this big shakeup. Then obviously the most traumatic thing that they had that they had been a part of during the ministry of Jesus. In fact, their world got turned upside down, did it not? Jesus is arrested. He's, he's brutally crucified and he's buried in a tomb. And now there's murmuring about people seeing him. And, and Thomas doesn't know what to believe because he's, he's been burned. He, he doesn't know what to think. And, and he's living in fear, fear from the authorities. Maybe they're coming for him. What, what am I supposed to believe? What should I believe? I can imagine him asking questions like, well, if he's the Son of God, why are we going through all of this trouble? Why can't he display his power and authority here? This is what happens. When everything in life seems to be making sense, kind of that moment of clarity, and then something ruins it. Something changes. We see it in other people's lives. We can witness this, for example, in our kids' lives. Uh, we face this when we face hardship or begin to question God's goodness when we face crisis. But herein lies, and this is why I believe, Jesus takes the time to meet with Thomas in the upper room. But herein lies the true understanding of our faith. See, what this is really about is faith and, and what I'll call a trial of trust and obedience. Church, God wants to put us in this sense, and I, I don't mean this negatively. He wants us to be on trial before Him in our lives to test in this case our true obedience. 
Not cynically, not, not like he's playing a trick on it. I'm not trying to paint that picture. But rather, he wants to see if what is in our hearts is really true, or do you just believe what you believe because someone told you it, or you grew up in it, or you're just going to stubbornly believe it. Thomas is a picture here of most of us. Sometimes I fear when I preach on something like doubt in the church that many of us are like, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. And I say, nonsense. That's every one of us. Thomas is a picture of all of us. His life gets shaken up and all he knows falls into question and he stands at a crossroad wondering what to believe. If you've never had this happen to you, believe me, it's probably coming. Again, Thomas response to the disciples when they tell <clears throat> excuse me when they tell him we've seen the risen Christ it's probably best that I have some water what is his response unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into vivid his side I will never believe what that actually says literally in the original Greek, is I will never, ever, 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 ever believe. Or another way of putting it, you're not fooling me. You are not fooling me. You see what he's doing here. It's, it's like, if I cannot hear it, if I cannot touch it, if I can't smell it, right? He's kind of going back and resorting to the five senses, right? If, if it's not tangible... If I cannot base what I believe on methods and empirical evidence that can be tested, then I will not give in because I'm not falling for that. But here's what I want to remind us here today of. And what we have to be reminded of pretty much every day of our life, it's this. There are things that cannot be explained. If even during the sermon right now you're battling doubt, at least start here with me. There are things, hear me now, that cannot be explained. Humble yourself to this point. There are things that what? Cannot be explained. Just say it. Thank you. There are things... We will never understand. No one sees the big picture. We're all fallible. No person is all-knowing outside of Christ. There are things at the corners of the universe that will never be experienced on some level. Seeing is not believing. Here is the universal struggle in a fallen world with doubt. You have either experienced it all too often, at one point or another, or you will someday in the future. So what do we learn about doubt in the story here? Doubt comes from lack of faith in God's word, in the promises of Christ. This is exactly what we see in the story. 
And, and to take that a little bit further, just in case we're doubting that we all doubt, any complaint, <laughs> any arguing with God, any doing something on my own without considering His will, the one who created me, His purposes, any sin, any lack of certainty, any doing my own thing, any thought that says, you know, God, your word says this, but I think differently, right? That's doubt. See, there's something deeper at the heart of doubt that everyone deals with. And the Bible gives us many examples of this, but, but I'll outline it this way. Number one, what's at the heart of our doubts? Well, it's unbelief. That's what Jesus calls, us, calls it. But here it says pride and insecurity. Think about this. At the heart of our doubts is pride and insecurity. It's interesting that the two kind of go together. Is it possible that Thomas is insecure about a few things here? Well, if he's human, I'd say yes. Is it possible that he's putting up a front because he was hurt and he was confused and he was feeling exposed? And what do we do when that happens? Often, we put up a pretense. We put up a facade. We mask what's really going on inside our lives. Because we're insecure. And insecurity comes from a lack of control or a lack of knowledge, which again, join the club. That means all of us. And so what do we do? We, we put out outward esteem, the attitude that says you can fool someone else, but I'm no fool. Or we put up internal esteem, which is the attitude that says don't give in, it's a trick, you can't trust anyone these days. I can only trust myself. But faith, here's the thing about faith. Faith is security in the things that we cannot know, we cannot see, and we cannot control. If you're taking notes, one more time, because it's not going to come up on the screen. But faith is security in the things that we cannot know or see or control. Because not everything is material. It's pride and insecurity that's at the heart of our lack of faith. It's also, notice the second thing, stubbornness and determination. I'm mostly speaking about myself, probably not you. I'm sure you're not stubborn at all. You know, not all doubt is wrong. We need discernment, right? But even the greatest skeptic must admit that we're all capable of believing something, not because we have the facts, or because we were there, or because we really, really know, but because it fits our thinking, our outlook, our political agenda, our party line. We're all capable of believing something out of stubbornness. That's the human will. That's Carnality, that's our flesh. In our culture, we're told, we're told that this is, this is a strength. It's a strength. 
Question everything. That's a strength. That's what our world tells us. But this can only be of benefit unless it's grounded in the truth. In other words, just to question something doesn't make you wise, right? And yes, we need discernment. But yes, there's more to this life than material. And we're going to have to deal with that truth that the unknown, right, and there's a lot of unknown, we're living in a bunch of unknown, aren't we? We can't see the future. We're going to have to face the truth that what we don't know, what we cannot see, we're going to have to deal with with a bit of faith. And just to address one more myth, I didn't really know how to transition this, so this is my transition. Being a skeptic doesn't make you bipartisan. I guess what I'm saying is unbelief isn't neutral. That's one of the great lies in just, just generally in society today. Unbelief, I, I'm just a neutral. I'm just here along for the ride. I'm not going to take one side or another. No, that's not true. If you don't believe something, the burden of proof is not upon the one who believes. Instead, it means you believe something else. Something also which needs proof, evidence, or validation in order for it to be true and trustworthy. The point is we all believe something. We all have our sources. We all trust in something. And we all exhibit faith in every part of our lives. In fact, right now we are trusting and we have placed our faith that the builders of this building did it right. <laughs> that they didn't make mistakes and that that is not coming down upon our heads. Every day we utilize, employ, and act upon that which we call faith. So we have to admit our stubbornness and determination, it's grounded in something. It's even possible that it's not grounded in the facts. It could be self-promotion. It could be intellect. It could be our comforts or our will or our plan or our selfishness. For Thomas, all of this could certainly be related. He wasn't there. He was afraid. We know he was dealing with the aftermath of the crucifixion. He felt betrayed. He was confused from the day Jesus told him he was going back to heaven. And he didn't understand the reasons and it didn't make sense. And that's why he reacts the way he does. We would be no different. He resorts to the five senses. What we know best. And herein lies the dilemma for those of us who claim to have faith in something that we cannot see. It's why 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us not to focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. And why that's not grasping at straws, so to speak. It's interesting how God, in this Jesus Christ, deals with our doubt. We recognize that even the Bible reveals to us that believing in something that cannot be seen is difficult. It's hard. It may seem unnatural, especially in a natural world. 
And I say that because of verses like these and hundreds of others. The Bible doesn't avoid the topic of doubt. In other words, it doesn't tell us to blindly follow. No, instead it speaks directly to the subject. All over the place. In fact, Jesus took the time to address the subject, even with his disciples. As if to say, I know this is going to be too good to be true. And there will be that seed of doubt. But you need faith. Isn't it interesting that Jesus recognized Thomas's need for proof? Verse 29, look at it with me. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's Jesus doing here? He's teaching us something about true obedience. That it requires faith. Why is it so blessed to believe without seeing? Because true faith is a picture of really trusting in what someone tells you. Trusting and taking them at their word. This is what God is doing here with us. He is calling us to take him at his word. To trust that his ways are higher than our own because he sees the big picture. What is faith? I guess I'm asking that, but I'm not necessarily asking you to give me feedback right here. What is faith? Consider what faith is. We know from Hebrews 11.1 that, number one, it's confidence in the things we hope for and we hope in. And by the way, that goes for all of us. We all have hope in something and we all hope for something, right? I hope for things to go back to normal. <laughs> right? I'm, yeah. I hope for better days ahead. Right? And for me to have that hope, I have to have my hope in something. Right? That's why I'm really hoping in the government to restore all things <laughs> back to normal. I'm glad you realized that was sarcastic. <laughs> Do you have hope in your leaders that they will make the right decisions? Do you have hope in your doctors that they will find a cure? What are we placing our hope in? It doesn't matter if you call yourself a believer or not. You all place your hope in something and you all hope for something. Faith is confidence in the things we hope for and in. It also, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, is the evidence of things that are not seen. One example of that is I'm not in the future. I can't even reach out and touch it. I can't touch next week, nor do I know what will come next week. I can't even know what's ahead, no matter how hard I try. And that reveals to me I'm also not in control. So what is Jesus really addressing with Thomas and with us today? He's asking us the question, what is your hope in? 
And where does your faith rest? In things that are tangible and yet fleeting? Or in something beyond that? Church, may it be found not in what we have here, but in something that is so greater, right? In something that is so much more sure. May it be found in the one who rose again, conquering sin and death and hell, and proved to us by standing before Thomas that yes, there can be victory even in this life and in the life to come. Amen? What allows us to understand and know the proof of things we cannot know or see? Like the future. The things we have never yet learned. Things that are immaterial, like love and peace and security. And God. And His kingdom. And His ways. And His purposes. Faith in the One who offers us grace even in our doubts and inconsistencies. See, a more accurate picture of what Jesus is teaching Thomas and therefore us today is that in our doubts, which is really our pride and our lack of knowledge and our stubbornness, Jesus meets us right where we are at. He comes into the room he addresses us face to face. He takes our doubts seriously. And he wants to deal with our lacking, our fear, our confusion, and our insecurities. He doesn't throw his hands up in the air and go, I cannot believe you. Thomas, you are so dumb. I already told you. No, instead he deals with it. And he actually admits, this is not going to be easy. In fact, trials are coming. And you're actually going to have to deal with your faith. Something's going to shake you. Might happen sooner rather than later, or later rather than sooner. But it's coming. And it's in that place where we have to trust something. Right? That's what faith is really about, trust, right? I don't know about you, but uh, these days that we've been living in, they're really causing me to uh, need to trust in something that is so much greater than myself and the things I have and the things that are around me and the things that I'm used to and the things I like. And maybe that's exactly what God intended in the first place. Could it be that God wants to strengthen us through the trial? Could it be that he's already doing that? Right? Could it be that he has a purpose for the church that's so much greater than anything we could have expected? Could it be that he is going to bring out of this something good that we never could have imagined could be good? Something that would be for his kingdom, not for our own. Church, we need to surrender all that is causing us to fear and all of our insecurities, we just need to lay them right at the feet of Jesus. 
And I know each one of us needs this today. So bow with me. I think it would be a beautiful picture of faith to do this together. And pray, you know, in your own heart. And I'll do it out loud. That, God, we surrender to you our insecurities and our fear, especially of the unknown and especially of the things we don't have control over, like other people and their problems and their trouble, loved ones who are going through a crisis. Lord, we surrender it to you. You're the only one who has the power to save. Lord, humble us. That we would trust in you alone.